Hello everybody, I'm Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live, uh, live and uncut podcast. I have lots of thought leaders on and today I have Hilary Briggs. Hilary has a very interesting uh, career CV, worked in Germany as a chief executive, went to Cambridge University and studied engineering. I'm curious uh, how it was studying engineering as a woman in, uh, in Cambridge uh, a number of years ago and now uh, is a uh, professional speaker and a gold medalist for Great Britain in the uh, triathlon. Welcome, Hilary. Thanks for joining Monday Night Live. And uh, perhaps you could give us a quick snapshot of your life. Yeah, be delighted to. Thanks very much for, for having me here, Derek. So as typical with these things, it all started when I was born. And that was in Workington in the northwest of uh, England, right up towards the borders. I was born in a hospital in Workington because I was a month early. And I guess that might have given some clue that I was always going to be a, a bit impatient, maybe, and also looking for process improvements right from, uh, from the get-go. Uh, my father worked in the nuclear industry. Um, for those of you who know, there was a big nuclear site in the Lake District, so that's why we were up there as a family. After a few years, um, he got a posting to Vienna, Austria, with the International Atomic Energy Authority. And um, so I started school out in Vienna at the English school. Came back to the UK, to the Northwest. Uh, I was at Manchester High School for Girls. It was my main education secondary school. And then on to the University of Cambridge, as Derek said, I was really thrilled to get a place to study engineering there. Uh, I guess he's mentioned the triathlon. I can see there's almost yeah three stages of my uh, career. So perhaps university and then into corporate life was perhaps fairly um, yeah, reasonably normal area to go, even if engineering was a bit unusual. At uh, Rover Group in Oxford, uh, for 10 years, different owners it actually had been taken over by BMW by the time I left. Um, then off to Italy, a couple of two and a half years working for Whirlpool, domestic appliances, back to London and then Germany with Laird Group. Um, there was a bit of a transition then into self-employment and working with small companies, uh, SMEs, helping them to grow. Um, I've done various roles there and uh, more recent times, uh, I'm actually now back into consulting and speaking, as Derek has said, so another transition. And now I'm really trying to integrate actually all my experiences from um, what I've learned from a slightly crazy journey in uh, in triathlon, where I've gone from absolute low-grade amateur, um, very lofty goals, finish, don't be last, uh, to podium uh, in European Championships and World Championships. The gold medal was in Europe, I should correct that, and the silver medal I got just a few weeks ago in the World Championship, but really, really, really thrilled to get that. You don't need to correct anything on this show. That's don't no worry. happy to uh, big anyone up that uh, <laughs> comes on the show. Um, so your dad was um, worked at Sellafield, the nuclear plant. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just wonder if you're a bit radioactive, really, because <laughs> you've certainly got certainly high energy, aren't you? Um, 
But let's I think there might there might be might be one or two bosses that I've had um, uh, slight clashes with in the time. I might think I'm a bit radioactive, but I, I probably do glow in the dark. Um, so I, I don't need any any extra lighting above the camera. Um, so yeah, that all helps. <laughs> I'm curious about uh, why you went into engineering and also ended up in the Rover Group. You said that Sir Graham Day, whose name I remember. I think who was there in Rover Group wasn't he to try and save it and probably sold it to to BMW. He took you under 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 his wing, didn't he? Yeah, I think. I mean, going into engineering first of all, I uh, yeah, I loved doing the sciences. So again, fairly standard maths, physics, chemistry, A levels, and actually at, at the girls' school. It, it was no big deal doing sciences. At least half the sixth form did maths of, of one sort. So it was no no big deal doing that. But I think I went on, I remember going on a, a week-long course at Loughborough University during one of the um, holidays. And that was all, you know, encouraging more women into engineering. And it, it really gelled with me because I thought, yeah, I, I like the sciences, but physics and so on to me looked a little bit too theoretical or that was you know for better or worse that was my perception whereas engineering seemed more practical it was sort of actually links with you know all of the objects around us and, and things everything has to be designed and made so that's sort of resonated with me so I wanted something that was a bit more practical and linked to the real world. How many languages and, do you speak? Because you said you were in Germany and you were in Italy. Italy, yeah. But it, again, you know, it's, it's interesting at school. So we we had to do uh, Latin and French as as well. Okay, English, and I I've, I struggled with uh, with the English spelling. Actually, the Latin really helped me uh, get get better grip of, of English and grammar because no one seemed to teach uh, teach grammar properly. Uh, Hi, Steve. Yeah, I wanted to uh, just get, one moment. That's just right. wanted to get into uh, yeah. okay yeah, i wanted to get into uh, well, i thought german was an opportunity to do german and i thought yeah that would be useful and in the sixth form there was an opportunity to do italian never thinking that i would end up living in the country you know a number of years later but i guess i just I, one of the things which i think was particularly for my dad uh, was keep keep your options open and so I, it was a bit of a sponge really and you know absorbed I thought the languages uh, would be would be useful and yeah the German I did a little bit more at university but when I got parachuted into Germany uh, never I mean there's a big difference between doing O level and a, and a bit more business German at, at uni and then actually operating pretty much full time uh, in German. But uh, I had a lot of things against me uh, in, in the environment there in that I was young, foreign, female from the head office. And, you know, I thought, well, I've got to build as much as I can uh, to build trust and, and relationships with people on the ground. So I made a, a, a conscious choice that I would do my best to speak German. I mean, some of the more senior people spoke English uh, and, you know, that that made life a bit easier. But it was quite a, it was a very big challenge initially. Uh, it, and I think the looking back on it, there was one really ex extraordinary instance I had when I came back to the UK. I met a lady who trained all the chimpanzees for the, the PG tips uh, adverts. I don't know, some of you may remember those. 
And she had this story about chimps having a sense of if, if they liked somebody, they would kind of offer a, a fist out to do a fist bump. If they didn't, they'd sort of hide. And I thought that's really interesting because we're related to, to chimps and so on. And having that sense on whether you can trust somebody or not. I think I was actually because I couldn't speak the language as proficiently as, as I would have liked to, to start. It did get better. But I was probably having to rely on those more primitive instincts in a way about, you know, someone could say something and I may not understand exactly what they're saying, but it's kind of, yeah, I, I get it. I'm, uh, I'm trusting you rather than or, or else it's like, no, there's something I don't quite like here. I found that that was very interesting with, say, it was perhaps with hindsight. Okay, let's wind the tape back a little bit. So you worked for Rover for 10 years, then you were headhunted by Whirlpool to work in Italy or Milan somewhere. And then yeah. Sir Graham Day came back and head parachutes you into a Laird group in Germany. With um, it, uh, I was in the head cleaner. office. In, yeah, was I was it? in the head office in Laird for about a year to start off with, or yeah, just under a year. And then, uh, yeah, the situation they they wanted to make some changes in Germany that they you know things weren't working out as they wanted so I think they they tried experienced people and again this is probably uh uh me being very naive in, in my mid-30s thinking yeah I, I can do stuff they tried to find experienced people to go into the role but I think anyone with any sense gave it a wide berth so it was I was probably the last um, option they'd got really and thought well we'll see uh, see what Hillary could do with this and so it was uh, you know and I, I was making progress I think and, and one thing that I've I've learned as well is that slow progress is progress but sometimes goalposts move and also, the, it was just in bulk on everything, you know, whether the morale was really low, um, ridiculously high absence rate. I think it was over 12 percent absence rate. Um, there were all sorts of problems with big customers. So this was car component business supplying Ford, VW, GM, BMW, all the, you know, the big players. And there were lots of projects that were running late and over budget and so on. So um, it was and then I had a factory burn down and, you know, it was just unimaginable uh, amount of things to uh, to grapple with. So you, I think were the, you were the CEO. Fourth, yeah, I was fourth, a chef's in was the uh, title, sort of managing director of this. Yeah. Wow. Wow. How was your stress levels? Um, well, I think having had the experience in production management at Rover, I mean, that was one of the things. I think with Graham Day, that uh, Sir Graham Day, that I was very grateful to again to have the opportunity. He was looking for more graduates and particularly female graduates to go into the production management because he wanted to get change. And I think because it was unusual, he could see that it was a way of getting more change um, in there because people just didn't necessarily know what to expect. But it was a tough environment, and not just for being a female. Uh, you know, there were a number of male colleagues who actually did have nervous breakdowns. I think if I'm honest, I was probably on the verge of one at times. So it was, you know, survival of the fittest, uh, a Darwin thing. Not everyone did survive the environment, but I, I kind of developed strategies uh, which have, have borne me in good stead in all sorts of situations. And so one of the sayings that I developed during that time was spending five minutes a day doing something to make tomorrow better you know when you've just got so many things on your on your head in your head it's being able to narrow things down and say okay out of all the things i really need to do this and even i say five minutes a day you start to get control of things and if you're able to do that consistently 
and except there'll be some days when when it won't happen um but over three months period you can actually start making progress so that really helped me sure and you said that so you used the words i got kicked out of germany in the end and i asked you uh, in our rehearsal what did you learn from that mm. what did you learn from it I think this thing about if you're going in in a in a turnaround situation, I think it was much more of a turnaround than either myself or the head office uh, appreciated. But you've got to have this squad of people with you that not only that you can come in all together, but you know how each one works and you, you just immediately hit the ground running. I was building my contacts in Germany. I was changing the management team. I was building relations with the workforce. In a situation like that, you don't have time for that. And I think the other thing was that, yeah, I was relatively inexperienced. And I think looking back on it, if you take a sort of 80-20 type scenario, there was probably 80% of things which I wasn't familiar with. So I was having to go from first principles and try to work my way through it. And it's not that you can't do that, but again, it just takes too long. Um, when I've done a managing director role more recently, much smaller company, I was the 80 20, I would say was the other way around. So there was 20% of stuff that I didn't know and was, was having to work out that becomes much more manageable. And so I think again, I mean, it, I had worked hard as I say, my sponge, uh, liking of, of trying to hoover up whatever knowledge you can all the time. It's not that I was sitting around just waiting for things to happen, but it's, I guess you can't, yeah, there's a limit to what you can actually absorb over time. So maybe a few gray hairs helps. Um, but mm. yeah, it's, I think it's maybe being a bit more realistic about what you can and can't do. But on the other hand, you get an opportunity. I learned an awful lot. I mean, there were successes I had, you know, I did build, the links with the workforce I had to speak I mean when I arrived I, I took groups of about 200 or so uh, employees at a time just a, a short speech in German you have to speak to the whole workforce at least once a year so not everyone of the German uh, groups of about two and a half thousand on the ground ground there but I mean I spoke to about 1700 in the local ice hockey stadium half hour speech in German and my knees were knocking and that wasn't just because I was cold <laughs> static <laughs> on an ice rink <laughs> um, but I think in, and I was under so much pressure uh, at that time as well I remember uh, so the, the talk was on a Saturday morning Wednesday night I woke up at two in the morning and I've never felt in such a, a state of panic and I hope I never do again but I stayed up for a couple of hours doing a load of mind maps of just you know get what I thought I needed to say and dictated in my best German to a secretary the next day. Friday, I was in the UK being grilled by the, the management. I get back Friday evening, I get a script and I'm reading it through and I'm thinking, I don't quite understand this bit. Is that because she's corrected my German? My German was so bad. Or has she put a slightly different spin on it? And so I, I changed some bits back to what I thought was was right. I got a standing ovation at the end, so I don't know. I must have said, you know, we're going to double all the salaries or something like that. <laughs> it wasn't quite that far off, but oh. it was, um, it was, yeah, an interesting experience again. <laughs> Do you think that um, people were conspiring against you because you're a woman and because you were English in a German environment? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think actually the fact that I'd made the effort to speak. German and actually try to get to the bottom of what the problems are and I think that maybe it's my engineering bent 
uh, and, and it's something I find in the sporting world with the triathlon as well. There's, there's no, forgive the language, but there's no room for bullshit. You know, I'd rather get it. If we've got problems, let's understand it. Let's get to it and fix it. Same wise in sport. You know, if I don't do a good time or, or something goes wrong, it's, well, what can I do about that? And work with coaches to, to work it through. There's no point, you know, I come across so many people that are full of themselves and, you know, saying everything's marvellous, how marvellous they are. As immediately I have people like that when I meet them in networking, whatever. I'm suspicious, I'm afraid, because the people I know in whatever field, uh, if the people who are really good don't go around that way. And um, so I think, you know, I just try to be, uh, yeah, simple, maybe a bit stupid at some points, but naive. But you know, if if we got issues, let let's work on it and and find a resolution. And mm. I I think again, some of the learning I've had from the triathlon, and I've I've worked. Uh, someone has helped me to cl clarify the process that's taken me from low grade amateur, and I was literally finished. Don't be last was my kind of uh, thinking when I started seven years ago, uh, in my mid fifties and you know to, to get to the podium and there's there's kind of three basic elements really of it one is and really have the motivation you've got to care enough about whatever it is you're doing you've got to care about it you've got to figure out from all the things you could do what what is it you're going to do uh, and start and then you've got to measure the performance and out of that hopefully you get more motivation because it's going in the right way and it also helps determine what to do next and in the worst case, if you decide if it's not going well and you really decide, I don't want to do this, that's OK. Let go of it. Find something else that you do. At least you can move on then. And mm. I think it's very sad when I come across people saying, oh, I wish I'd done this or I ought to do this. Well, either do it and, and experience it or you know, carry on with it or let go of it. You know, don't be in that state where something's just sort of niggling around in your head. That's just wasted energy in my book. So. Mm, absolutely that came out of carl's talk last week you know uh, if you don't want to, if you're not not 100 committed to it do so, move on and yeah. do something else and we do see so many people struggling with things and they think they should be doing it and actually, yeah they don't really i think it's as well the the analogy and i i, I love maybe as an engineer i love the space shuttle and the 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 picture i have in my head of those big booster rockets on the side that I, to me the motivation the initial motivation of why on earth do you want to do this whether it's triathlon or, you know, doesn't don't care what it is. Uh, you've got to have the motivation strong enough to get you off the launch pad and on your way. Then as you're doing things and as, as if it's going in the right way, what you want to look at is building this virtuous circle where as you do things, you're getting uh, increased motivation. That's providing them more rocket fuel to keep you on the way in into orbit. So it becomes not only self-sustaining, but accelerating and, I think, again, I found as I started to get some results in the triathlon, I mean, I say I had, I had no idea there was all this age group activity, Team GB, and so on, no idea of that. But as I started to win a couple of events and in, in my age group, and then if you find out about things, you think, well, could I possibly do that? It seemed like a really big stretch. But then this this thing is that as you brain starts to focus on a challenge, whoever is necessary or whatever information starts to appear and i think that's that's the thing if you you acknowledge problems and, uh, and have the reality of okay, this is what it is may not be what i want but you're open then to solutions if you're thinking 
I've got everything. I'm so marvelous. Your brain is not looking for solutions and you won't find them. So I think that's why to me, uh, being honest about reality is a key part. If you want to be successful and improve your performance in some way, you've got to have that connection, however painful it is. Let's take you back a minute because some people on the call may not know what a triathlon is. Talk us through what a triathlon is. Yeah, so it's a com multi-sport combination of swim, bike and run. And there are all sorts of different distances. Uh, I do the standard distance or sometimes known as Olympic distance, which is 1500 meter swim. Um, nominal 40k 40 kilometers on the bike 25 miles for those in old money and a 10k run six mile run and then you've got transitions between those that you're basically trying to do as quick as you can so it takes round numbers uh i'm i've done the fastest i've ever done one is about two hours 30 so two hours 30 to two hours 40 something like that, depending on the, you know each course is going to be slightly different but that's Wow. And what is the Olympic? Uh, if you were 21, what would you be expecting to do your two hours 30 in? Yeah, so the, uh, yeah, you catch me. I think the elites are around sort of one hour 50, one hour 55, that sort of level. I think um, that's right. Yeah, no, there's a few people nodding as well. I think that's right. So how much training did you have to do for that? Yeah, so um, again, I, I suppose I think that one of the factors that was a big flip for me that to get into a different mode was I'd only just started. I did a couple of short events in 2016 and the experience on the swimming was quite horrendous. Actually, in the first one, Eastbourne with a very strong currents in the sea. But, you know, I survived. I didn't get swept away and I kept at it. But then I had a massive uh, injury to my Achilles. Uh, again, long story with that. But I made such a great job of it that they had to replace the tendon. And I actually had a fear that I might not walk properly again. So, um, yeah, the, the, the doctor actually, uh, after the uh, surgeon, after the operation, said he'd never seen a tendon in such bad shape in a living person, he added. Um, and so I took whatever the physio said, I took very, very seriously, made lots of notes, and I did the exercises religiously. So I think, you know, when we talk about motivation, I think there's motivation to do something. And I, I wanted to get back to doing triathlon. So that was a, a towards uh, motivation. But there was also an away from, let's say, this fear that if I didn't do it, I wouldn't, uh, you know, might not walk properly again. So it was an 18 month recovery. Um, and I uh, actually the discipline to keep going. at it, it wasn't I never gave up hope because I could see improvements all the way through and uh yeah, so I kept at it. And then after I did the first um, standard distance triathlon back in 2018, I carried on doing the exercises. Then I had some other issues with the other leg was moaning because it was doing more of the work. And um, that prompted me to get a, a first trainer. I'd never trained properly, you know, naively or arrogantly thinking, well, you know, I'm, I do my running and cycling. That That's it, isn't it? Well, no, it's not actually. And I think as the old, probably one of the reasons I got the injury was, you know, mid, mid 50s, I'd not done strength training. I was fit for sure. But um, yeah, the older you get, you need to be doing the strength work. And that's actually what's made the difference now. And I guess I train kind of 12 hours a week, that sort of plus or minus. Um, 
Sure. Now you live in you live in central London. How do you do yeah. that in central London? I was curious about that. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? So um, during the season, I mean, I'm very lucky. I've got a, a a German pool very close to me, twenty meter pool. It's it's good enough. So I go swimming most evenings, even just for sort of half an hour, because it's I'm still in, trying to improve my technique. Um, and so I go for coaching. I get videos and video nasties as i call them and you can see i'm not i'm not doing it right so it's a continuous battle to improve that um running i'm very close to to the parks um cycling i get down to richmond park or actually last year i started doing time trials so the weekend i can easily get out of london on trains and um yeah do races and i do other park runs and things around because it's race practice i think that back to my experience in germany you know one of the thing i was lacking was the equivalent race practice of going into that kind of turnaround situation at that scale so i practice the elements in i'd say battle conditions you know but if i'm only having to worry about the bike piece i can absolutely hammer it as much as i can i'm not having to worry about running afterwards so that gives me an idea of what actually my my capability is like wasn't a running i'm still trying to find equivalent for swimming that that fit in the uh, agenda but it's kind of breaking stuff down and um then in races both the the way races i've done this year at international level i've had situations where i've had to really fight hard over over a few minutes and in this most recent one there was a lady who had caught me up on the run. She was gaining on me at 11 seconds a kilometre from what I could see now looking at the data. So with just over a kilometre to go, we were neck and neck. And somehow I managed not only to hold her, but actually to gain I one by 11 seconds. So that was a real mental battle and just throwing everything at it. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give, it, give this the best go, you know. And uh, yeah, it, it, it came off. Now on the tech, we're nearly out, nearly out of time, Henry. But this is so fascinating. Um, on the technical front, when you did that talk on the main stage at the Professional Speaking Association's annual conference, did you show some goggles which had the timing in the glass of the goggles, yeah. or am I dreaming yeah. that up? Yeah, no, no, no. I um, it's something it, again, just a conversation uh, with someone in the at the gym talking about these goggles she'd got uh that they've got a head-up display so yeah as you're swimming you're getting feedback on well you can have a variety of uh, data distance per stroke um time speed stroke rate all sorts of things uh, come up so it's i think one of the things in when i talk about measuring progress and so on having real-time feedback i found has really helped me uh, say on the bike you know I've got a computer I'm looking at the power from the pedals so it, it helps me to f understand what good feels like and having had that awareness I've then kind of been open to try that both for running and and the swimming as well but again that that feeds across to all sorts of other things in life if if you want to get better having a way of getting that feedback as objective as you can as close to the action as you can then that's where you get the improvement so if it's not right okay what what do i need to change here and then you can make the adjustments if if you're waiting you know a few days before you get the feedback you're not going to remember what you were doing and it's the whole improvement loop is going to be much much longer mm, absolutely absolutely well we're almost out of time now have you got one last tip for anyone watching this anyone live or anyone watching this on youtube 
I think the... I'm going to put up your details in the back. Oh, yeah, please. It would be great. You know, I would love to carry on the conversation. I'm happy to, uh, you know, if you want, I'm, say, working with small business owners as predominantly, but, you know, opportunities to speak and so on or just have, have a chat, you know, for uh, uh, do connect with me on on LinkedIn. If Derek just moves to the side, there's a QR code. Um, which I'll move might, out the uh, way for a minute. I think that's yeah. the best thing. <laughs> there you go. QR code to connect with me um, on LinkedIn. Be delighted to have you know a, a chat and just in, in whatever area. But I I think my final tip would be it's never too late. You know, I was mid fifties when I started doing the triathlon just for a bit of a laugh really because I like challenges and let, let's give it a go and never believing possible what what I've achieved. So I think whatever stage of life you are, just if you fancy having a go at something or somebody challenge you, just do it and you'll be amazed at what you can do. I, I feel it's so sad. I mean, not only people in their 60s, 70s or whatever, but actually I hear some people in their 20s saying, oh, I couldn't do that and it's too late to do that. Rubbish. You know, excuse management is is one of, another expression I use quite a lot. And that just learn whatever excuses come up. We've all got them. Just manage them and put them in a box. Uh, it's never too late. Just do it and you'll be amazed. I think focus, when you really focus, it's unbelievable what you can achieve. Uh, so have Brilliant. fun. Absolutely fascinating. It, it might be too late for one or two people on here, including me, and they know who they are to uh, do a triathlon. But a pal of mine plays hockey for St Albans Hockey Club and he's uh, he's 80 and he's just got in the England over 80s uh, veterans hockey uh, hockey team. Well, it's far too dodgy on your backs to, to play it. I gave it up for when I was 44 but uh... well, yeah I mean I, I was inspired in the, the international events and, and just coming back from Spain a few weeks ago there were a number of people in the 80 to 84 category men and women doing standard distance triathlon um so yeah really? it really oh. inspiring yeah Hilary Briggs, thanks for joining us. And will you stay on and answer some Pleasure. questions? Absolutely. Ask members of Monday Night Live to give Hilary the usual vote of thanks in the normal way. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you'll come back and tell us how you're getting on with uh, some of these triathlons uh, a bit later on. Absolutely. Thank thanks. you.